0: Any guesses what we're talking about today? None? Prayer. prayer! You got it. Good, good. In fact, we're starting a building block series for the next, um, goodness, four weeks. We're going to be talking about what we consider to be the building blocks of the faith. Of the things we need in our lives to help build our faith, our faithfulness. And this is the primary one we think is prayer. When, when you join, if you join the United Methodist Church, we ask five things of you. We think these are... Necessary for your growth in the faith, not only uh, for the central's or the church's benefit, but for your benefit. We think you need to be involved in prayer. We need you to be present. You, you need to be present. We need and you need your gifts to be given. We need and you need your service to be rendered. And we need and you need your witness to be offered. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness are the building blocks of the faith. And we are going to start with, with prayer as our primary Discussion. When I think about prayer, I wonder how, if, how people were taught to pray. I think too often we just sort of assume you know how to pray, that, that you're born knowing how to pray. And I guess because it's universal that, that religions around the world in any form have some kind of prayer component, we just assume you know how. But it, I find it interesting, important to note that Jesus was asked to teach The disciples, how to pray right there in Luke 1, our scripture for today, the first verse. Jesus was praying in a certain place and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So even before he was asked to teach them to pray, Jesus was at prayer, right? While he was praying, as he prayed, then he finished praying and the disciple said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So the first way Jesus taught to pray was by praying, by practicing prayer. His prayer life influenced the disciple enough to know that somebody I want to learn from. A disciple is a student. And when your teacher does something, you start to do it. You do what your teacher does. And then eventually you want to know how and why your teacher does what he does. Throughout the Gospels, we, we find out that Jesus would go off to a place in prayer, that he would sometimes separate himself from the group to go and be in prayer. And I think part of that is the, the part of prayer we miss so often. So I'm sitting at my desk and I'm working away and and sometimes I have music in the background. And if I'm doing something that I can do fairly easily and doesn't require a lot of concentration, I don't mind lyrics being on words being in the songs. But if I realize I need to concentrate a little more, I, I move from the songs with lyrics to instrumental music. And then if I really have to concentrate and really have to think, I take the music out altogether and I need silence. Jesus got to places where he needed Silence, and I think the reason he needed silence is because he needed to listen. So when we think about prayer, you've got tables today, you can turn your sheets over, there's a whole place to take notes and think about some questions together. What is prayer? Well, the first and easiest definition is prayer is conversation. Conversation. Now, I've been in conversations, or what people would call conversations, that were more like monologues. Where one person talked a whole lot and the other person was expected to listen a whole lot. But that's not a conversation really, that's a lecture. Prayer is meant to be a conversation, a dialogue. We're not only to share, we're to listen. I think Jesus' motto was to go off and and find places and spaces where he could not only share with the Father, he could listen to the Father. Listening is critical to prayer. Now, maybe you've never heard an audible voice in your praying. Maybe it's been more of a nudge or, or a prodding or moments of comfort that have given you a sense that God is speaking to you in different ways. But, but I think there are a lot of ways that God can speak, even if it's not an audible voice. The other morning, I woke up, Tuesday morning, I woke up from a dream. Well, I didn't wake up because of the dream. I woke up because my alarm went off, and the alarm went off, and I was, um, st- it was such a vivid dream that it was sticking with me. And, In this dream, I was sitting with a guy, Bishop Will Williman, and with um, a professor I had, Stanley Hauerwas. So three of us were sitting around in a room together having a conversation. And in the conversation, Hauerwas was getting up in my face. He said, you have got to bring the eschaton to now so the people will live the way they're supposed to live then. You know, the kind of prayer you have all the time, right? The kind of dream. The the way you just think of. So what he was saying is we've got to start living as Christians now the way we will live once Jesus has brought the kingdom fully among us. But he was really telling me how it was. It was so vivid. It was just like a real conversation. Now I had a class with how it was, but we you know, our interactions are more like, yes, sir, and I walked away. The reason we could have such a vivid conversation, the reason he could speak to me in this moment is that day, I was reading the book that Howard Wallace and Wilderman wrote. In that book, there were words similar to what he told me in my dream. I had spent time with him in a book, and he was able to speak to me very vividly. When you spend time in a book that God has blessed us with, there's ways that God can speak into your lives very vividly, that may not be an audible voice, but may be very real to what God is, is telling us about. There's another book uh, called A Disciple's Path. We've, several of us have done this over the course of the last year or so. And they tie together, when they talk about prayer, they talk about prayer and they talk about Scripture study and they tie the two together for the very reason I've just given you, that spending time in Scripture helps God to speak to us, helps us to listen to what God is saying. Over in that corner on the table of the leaves, there's some copies of this book because Phyllis Lee has volunteered to lead a class on this in the 11-15 hour. So after you finish the worship service of the well, you could stick around uh, starting in a few weeks and join her for this series of classes about prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. They go really in-depth and really meaningfully into these topics. So I invite you to think about that and you can look at those books if you'd like to know more about it. So Jesus taught by example. And his example included listening. And then he gave us some words about prayer. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Now, you're familiar with that, and we've sung it now a couple of different ways today, the, the sense of the Lord's Prayer, how um, we, of course, have a longer version of that. We have more words we put around it. But those are the essentials of it. And, and there's some lessons to be learned by something like the Lord's Prayer. If you take the Lord's Prayer, you know it probably. Uh, we're going to be praying in a little while. If you don't know it, it'll be up on the screen for you. But if you take those phrases, Our Father Who Art in Heaven, and then use that as a model for prayer, you can use those same phrases to to guide your prayer our father god you're like a parent god you're loving god you care about us god you provide for us even when we forget to say thank you god you're a, a parent who art in heaven god you you have the kingdom and yet you chose to be among us. Your Son came and, and lived among us. You left all that is perfect to walk in our presence and lead us to yours. Your name is holy. You can go phrase by phrase and let the Lord's Prayer be a teaching guide to, to intersect your own prayer. But there also there's a mnemonic device um, uh, you may know of, ACTS. And, and in that Acts word, you get a sense in the Lord's Prayer of how to use it. It has three of the four anyway. Adoration, holy is your name. Adoration, is it reminds us that we start with adoring God. We start with blessing God before we start thinking of our own needs in our prayers. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. We're asking God. Supplication is is asking God. We're asking God to send His kingdom. And that's another way of praising God. Because we're saying, I'd prefer your kingdom over my kingdom. Or at least I know I'm supposed to prefer your kingdom. There are other supplications in there. Lead us not into the time of trial. Confession. Right? A.C. Confession. Adoration. Confession. Confession is when we say we have sinned. We recognize that. And then that's implied when Jesus says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. It's not only about us confessing our sins. It's also recognizing that when we expect or ask for God to forgive, we should, as Jesus taught, expect to have to forgive others. Adoration, confession, supplication, we already talked about in the fourth letter, but in the third order, is thanksgiving, that we give God thanks. And throughout the Psalms especially, but all the Bible, there are teachings that we should be giving God thanks. So there's four letters, uh, acronym for you, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And if you have those four letters in your mind and somebody says to you, would you please pray? Instead of saying, no, I don't pray in public... Or instead of saying, I needed 30 minutes, thanks for no warning, because y'all never give us warning, you can have in your minds, A-C-T-S. Okay, I can pray, adoration, I can adore God, I can confess, I can give thanks, I can supplicate, I can ask for something. It's a good way to remember how to pray. And the reason we give you these things, the reason Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer is to teach us the ways of prayer, to give us models, to give us experiences so that we have learned from Him, from one another, the habits of prayer, and then it's not so intimidating to have a conversation with God in front of somebody else. If we've spent time praying with God alone, we'll be a little more comfortable praying with God on behalf of others. On behalf of others, and then throughout the Lord's Prayer, there's this us word that shows up. The way we say it, our Father, forgive us our trespasses. There's a plural uh, pronoun throughout the Lord's Prayer because we recognize we aren't just with God. We together are with, with God. It's important that we think of others as we're praying. So Jesus taught us in an example and he taught us as he liked to do in story. The rest of today's scripture. And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and everyone who knocks, for them the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? The answer says, well, we know, that none of you would do that. In a minute, he's going to say, and, and you're evil, and you know not to do that. So so here's a, a, a important thing to know about what prayer is not. I don't know what the numbers were last night, but we'll just throw out a number. Say 71,000 people were pulling for USC to win last night and praying for USC to win last night. And say, when you combine tigers from a different... Couple of schools around the nation. There were at least 71,001 praying for USC not to win last night. It's not, um, it's not because there were more people praying for USC not to win that USC did not win. There are a couple other reasons we could point to, but it's not God that got involved in that. Sometimes we confuse quantity with persistence. And so we'll get these prayer requests, and, and, and I like that, they try to, that people try to include more and more people in these prayer requests, but it's not that if we can get 700,000 people to say, I will pray for this person with cancer, that all of a sudden God will hear the prayer and say, no more cancer. We don't persistently pray because we think if we bug God enough, God will change the course of action. There's another teaching that Jesus does, another parable he offers in Luke 18, where he talks about the persistent widow. And the persistent widow goes to the unjust judge over and over and over. And finally, the judge gets tired of her and says, "Okay, I'll give you what you deserve. But I don't think in either of these cases about persistence in prayer is God saying, if you bug me enough, then I will agree. I think what he's saying is keep the conversation going. Let's keep talking. We may not get the healing we think we want or in the way we think we want it. But we'll get something that he promises. He says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened, and then this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So sometimes we are praying for things we don't even know what we're asking and missing the thing that He longs to give us. He wants us to ask, He wants us to search, He wants us to knock. And then He gives us this gift that helps us whether we get the thing we asked for, whether we get the thing we searched for, whether we get the reason we knocked or not. He gives us the Holy Spirit who can see us through what is ahead or what is, in fact, going on right now. It's an even greater gift than we sometimes think to ask for. The Holy Spirit as an answer to our prayer, not the thing we thought we wanted As an answer to our prayer. And why does God do this? Because God is better than the parents who even know to give eggs, not scorpions. And God is better than the friend who knows that finally I'll give you the bread if you just will go away. God is better than that. God gives us a spirit. Alright, so all of this leads us, I think, into some questions. I asked the staff what some questions might be on their minds and maybe on yours about what prayer is. And the first one they came up with was, does prayer change things? You know, what's behind that is, is it effective? Does it work? I think an initial response to that is that prayer at least changes us. So what I want you to do is is close your eyes. Right where you are, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Breathe in. Exhale. Now imagine somebody who's been a little annoying to you lately. Maybe not a mortal enemy. but I don't know, maybe the child who made you have to rush to get here today. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Picture that person, whoever it is, who's annoyed you lately. Now think of a reason to give God thanks for that person. Something about that person that's worth thanking God for. Take a deep breath. Exhale. Amen. Are you changed? I am when I do that. I don't know if that person will have the shoes by the door the next time they're supposed to or not. Or whatever it is they've done to annoy you this morning. So I don't know that, that, that your prayer changed how they're going to be, but it will change how you are toward them. And so the prayer has worked. You've been changed. Prayer can change things. But what happens if our prayer is not answered? What, what if we don't get the thing we're asked for? J- James Howell tells his great little line about um, prayer. He, he says... You know, prayer is a relationship, right? A conversation is part of this relationship. It's part of our indication to God that we love God and a recognition that God loves us. And and he said, if I was talking about my wife and you said to me, do you love your wife? And I said, oh, yes. Because every time I tell her to do something or ask something of her, she does it. I don't think the person asking if you love your wife would say, oh, well, then that's sweet. That's really good love they would think, what a strange relationship. If we think about prayer in terms of, is God going to do the things I tell God to do or not? It's not much of a relationship. It's an employee? A servant? But if you think in terms of, of reasons you love God and ways that God loves you, then then you can think in terms of, well, maybe the stuff I tell God to do doesn't always happen, but I trust God is with me even when the stuff I ask to happen doesn't happen, even when things aren't changed in the way I thought they might get changed. So we pray for healing and we pray earnestly because we love the person and we're concerned about the situation and we keep praying and we want that thing to change and it doesn't Does that mean God didn't listen? No. Does that mean God didn't act? No. Does that mean healing happened in a way different than we thought healing should happen? Yes. But healing is happening, happening for that person, even if it's not the way we thought it should happen in our world view. The Holy Spirit's there being present. And one last thing, I think God requires us to participate in answering our own prayers. So I can pray for the hungry all day long and then open my cupboards and move food out of the way to get to the next good item I want to eat. And God's probably saying to me, Will, your prayers for the hungry are answered or could be in part by what you just moved out of the way. Sometimes God expects us to be part of how these prayers get answered. Alright, so should you get, keep praying? Uh, we've talked about that, persistent prayer. Praying. We talked about the widow, um, talked about it not being quantity, but but conversation. And it leads to the question, is there something too small to pray for? And in her own prayer earlier, Sharon uh, hinted at the response she gave us in the staff meeting, which I thought was meaningful. She said to us, if it's in your heart, then it's not too small for God's heart. I think that's right. Jody Parker, when we lived here before, we were leaving town. We had this house we needed to unload. and You know, it was weighing on us a little bit. But Jody Parker came to me and said, Will, I'm praying that your house gets sold. And I said, Jody, don't bother God with that. There's so many much more important things to deal with. She said, Will, you need that house to sell so you can focus on the ministry in Spartanburg and your family in Spartanburg. You need to not be bothered by this house here. I'm praying that your house gets sold. Now, if y'all are having trouble selling a house, you might go to Jody because it worked. (laughs) The house was unloaded. We could concentrate on ministry there. All right, real quickly because we've got a lot still left to do in this service. Uh, Can you pray wrongly? was one of the questions that came up. I, I don't think you can pray wrongly, but I think you can pray poorly. Let me say the difference. Because prayer is a conversation, and sometimes we have some bad conversations, but there's still conversations, I think, you know, first and foremost, keep praying, even if you feel like you're not doing it right, because we want the conversation to continue. But, well, let me just put it this way. If you were having a conversation with a three-year-old, the three-year-old would probably be fairly self-centered in that conversation. But you would hope that by the time they became a 33-year-old, the conversation would have matured in some way. Maybe the focus is not so much on my little world as I know it, as it was when I was a three-year-old. I think the same with the prayer life. We should not, you and I, unless you're three in here, you should not be praying as a three-year-old anymore. It shouldn't just be, these are the things you need to do for me, God, amen. We should mature. So So that's why I say you can't pray wrongly, but you can pray poorly. There should be a maturity. And that book I showed you earlier, Disciples Path, and others have talked about this as well, gives us an indication of how we might think broader than ourselves. So they talk about a hand, and how each digit has a different um, reminder of who to pray for. That The thumb is closest to us, we pray for those who are closest to us. The, the pointer finger talks about those who have pointed us to God, points still point us in the direction of God. The middle finger, and I don't think this is meant to be a joke, is talking about leaders in our world. The, those leaders, we're to pray for them. The... Ring finger is our weakest finger. We're supposed to pray for those who are weak. And finally, that little pinky finger, the smallest one, is when we turn our attention on ourselves. That that maybe that's something of the ratio of how our prayer life gets focused. The more mature we are, the more we realize it's not just what I want from God, but how we, God and I, can be in conversation and how I can raise before God the needs I'm aware of because I care about people and situations beyond myself.